What is church? Is it a building? With some pews? A piano? And stained glass? Or is it something more? 2,000 years ago, the church was born. It wasn't made up of the famous, the rich, or the powerful. It was made up of everyday people who passionately believed in the message of Jesus. It was the beginning of a revolution of love and freedom that would change the world forever. In 369 AD, the church built the first hospital as a place to care for those who cannot care for themselves. Today, the church is the largest single provider of healthcare in history. The church was the first to stand up for the rights of children, creating the first and largest orphanage system in the world. 100 out of the first 110 universities in America were founded as Christian institutions. Places like Harvard, Dartmouth, Yale, and Princeton. Much of the world's greatest art, architecture, literature, and music has been shaped by the church. But the impact of the church isn't just ancient history. Today, the church is stronger than ever and continues to impact every corner of the world. Over 300,000 churches in America and almost 5 million churches around the world stand ready to be instruments of change, to do what governments could never do. Every day, the church brings food and fresh water to millions of people across the world. It has a renewed passion to help widows and orphans and fights to free slaves in every part of the world. It stands ready as a first responder on the scene to provide relief for victims of disaster. The ripple of Jesus' impact can be clearly seen in Fountain Church today. And it's made up of people like me and you. Today, you didn't just come to a building. You came to a revolution 2,000 years in the making. The world is facing as much trouble as ever. But we are not afraid. We were created for such a time as this. We will continue to do what we've always done. Proclaim the message of Jesus to help a world that needs him so desperately. Welcome. 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 Welcome to church. Isn't that awesome? We will continue to do what we have always done. You know, uh, my name is Rick. I have the privilege of being a part of 5280 Church with uh, five insane families. And uh, we began a journey uh, several months ago just praying about uh, the city and what God would have us to do. And uh, God has led us to some amazing people uh, to come along our side, uh, side of us, my family, and uh, help us plant. What's also been incredible is uh, church partnerships. And uh, so today I, I come before you to uh, say thank you on behalf of our little church, uh, for North Metro's heart uh, for the kingdom. Uh, they, you are our sending church, uh, which means we look to you for coaching and, and mentoring. James is my church planting coach. Uh, Jan is uh, mentoring my wife uh, as our worship leader. Uh, we're learning from you guys. We're bouncing ideas off of you guys. We've kind of been hanging out in your midst for a while now and uh, just enjoying uh, the community and the fellowship here and just soaking up in our hearts everything that God is doing in your midst. And uh, today I get to stand in front of you and uh, present uh, the vision of 5280 Church and talk about ways that we can go uh, to the next level in partnering together, how you can be a part of some of the things that we're doing and how we can be a part of some of the things that you're doing as a church. And uh, we are just so thankful uh, for churches like this. You know, when you read the book of Acts, you see the church of Antioch and how they were uh, a very key player in seeing the gospel go out to all Macedonia through the Apostle Paul. Uh, and that's the kind of partnerships that you're seeing happening in church planting. 
Uh, we're connected with Send Denver, and I want to just uh, challenge you with that. You know, you, we're a Southern Baptist church, and you're a Southern Baptist church, and we are part of this great, eclectic, uh, beautifully messed up group of people in the country that are uh, anxious and passionate about fulfilling the Great Commission. And we can come together with uh, all of our imperfections and work hard and serve hard and give generously to see the gospel go out. And, uh, and you're part of that, and I'm part of that. And, uh, and so when you look at God's Word, this is the kind of stuff that you're seeing. It's kind of like Antioch, and uh, we're, we're missionaries that are a part of your church. And as we have been here, we have just enjoyed uh, getting to know some of you, and, and there seems to be just one division in your midst, okay? Right now, the elders are freaking out. Don't freak out. But it's a, it's a division over chocolate and peanut butter, and chocolate and caramel, right? <laughs> and I, I suppose I have to choose a side because it just seems like all the staff is doing that. So um, I picked the chocolate and caramel. Uh, I can't. So yeah, I just, I can't do the chocolate and peanut butter thing. It's just ill. It's just gross. Um, so, so moving on with that, uh, I have two goals for you this morning, which is always dangerous for a pastor who is holding you captive at this point. Uh, usually one goal takes a very long time, but I do have two goals. I want to introduce you a little bit to the vision and mission of 5280 Church and how you can partner, but I also, more importantly, want to uh, put a little wind in your sails as a church. Uh, one of the things that I love so much about the heart of this church and its staff is that you care about people. You care about each other. You care about the community. You care about everybody connecting with Jesus in deep and meaningful ways. And that is something that we celebrate and rejoice in. And, um, and I want to just breathe, you know, just a little bit of truth uh, into your life. And so I hope that you'll listen and think, how, how can I take some of the things that I'm hearing and, and let them become part of my life? And how can they become part of my neighborhood and part of my city and part of my workplaces? And so that's my desire this morning. Start off by introducing my amazing family. All right. They make me look really good. Uh, the beautiful woman standing next to me in that picture is my wife, Andrea. Uh, we have been married 18 years. I actually, yeah, which is awesome. I've known her for 20, married for 18, and uh, she is the love of my life. And I remember standing at the altar feeling like, God, I don't think I could love anybody any more than I do in this moment. And I can tell you 18 years later, I love her more than I even know how to put words to. And Andrea, I'm, I'm so blessed to have you in my life. Uh, it's her birthday today. If you want to know her age, uh, $20. Uh, <laughs> I'm planting a church. <laughs> so <laughs> not telling you I'm going to give the correct age, but you will get an age uh, for $20. Um, we actually met uh, her dad, uh, left a church in Alabama, planted a church in North Dakota. Uh, that's part of our country, in case you didn't know. Uh, and um, <laughs> they, they left a congregation of a couple hundred to... Uh, take on seven people in Bismarck, North Dakota. I came through on a summer mission trip uh, doing a circuit evangelism four nights at his church after last night of services. He took me out to dinner, told me his crazy story, looked at me and said, I, I want to offer you a position on my staff. Don't know what you'll do for food or money, but promise you to ride of your life. And, uh, and I took him up on it. And uh, of course, I married his daughter and he jokes around now saying that if I knew that you're going to marry my daughter, I would never have invited you up here. Uh, but it's too late. Uh, we're married. Uh, 
We have four children. Our oldest daughter, Emily, is standing next to my wife in that picture, blonde hair. She's incredibly creative. She loves fashion design. She loves interior design. Um, Our youngest daughter is kind of like a live Barbie doll. Uh, And so it's just, she's an amazing young woman. She's 14, a teenager, and man, um, freaking out a little bit. But uh, she's incredibly smart and uh, rules the house well. We have uh, fraternal twin boys, Ty and Gage. Ty has blonde hair. Gage is standing next to him in a red sweater there with brown hair. And everything's a competition, as you can imagine, with boys. You have the best friend and the enemy all in the same room. And uh, I remember that we were trying to teach them about sportsmanlike conduct, and, you know, especially Ty, because he, he gloats. And uh, we're like, Ty, you know, you got to learn to congratulate people, you know, when they're doing things and, you know, and cheer them on, you know, even if they don't necessarily win. And, and so they were doing something and Ty won again and he looks at his brother Gage and he says, congratulations, Gage, I win again. Uh, so <laughs> pray for them and then <laughs> us. <laughs> and, uh, so, and then our youngest, Allie, she is a princess, a full-on diva. If it glitters and sparkles, uh, it's hers. And uh, matter of fact, we have a fish named Glitter Sparkles, and, uh, <laughs> and it's her fish. And uh, she literally goes through everything in her drawers to get dressed in the morning and, uh, of course, doesn't clean up. And uh, I was trying to get her to clean up one night, and she walks over to her nightstand, grabs her little tiara, puts it on her head, walks back over to me and says, Dad, princesses don't clean. <laughs> <laughs> And being the sarcastic person I am, I said, you're right, they get locked in towers. <laughs> <laughs> It does. So that's, uh, that is my family. And uh, so it's fun in our house. And uh, so let's talk a little bit about our city, our incredibly beautiful city that has a very deep need. Um, God has given my wife and I a heart for urban communities. And, uh, you know, a few years ago in Denver, we never really talked about neighborhoods much. But over the last few years, we're really starting to talk about neighborhoods. And uh, they, there are 92 neighborhoods in urban Denver. There are millions of people throughout the metro area that do not know who Jesus is. And I think that is perfect for the gospel, right? Because the darker the culture, the brighter the gospel shines. The darker it gets, the brighter you and I shine. And uh, sometimes our comfort and, uh, you know, the appearance of having it all together kind of blurs the lines a little bit. And the gospel is not as powerful or as potent as it needs to be. And I believe that God is working in our city and doing a great work uh, in people that don't know him to be receptive to the gospel and people that are anxious and excited to reveal Jesus through their life and their words. And so God broke my heart for the city back in 1998 when I was working on a mission in evangelism project called YouthLink 2000, and that was my first encounter to meet Jan, and um, I asked God to move us here, 2001 he did, and uh, we've served at Trinity Baptist in Aurora, Riverside Baptist uh, in Denver, uh, Evergreen, First Baptist Evergreen for a couple years, and now we're planting a church in uh, the Berkeley neighborhood of the Denver Highlands District, and so, um, and we want to be a church planting church. Because we believe that if we're really going to reach urban communities, we've got to spread this thing out. And plus, uh, acquiring property and things like that, it becomes you know, cumbersome and very expensive. And we want to be part of a greater movement. And you know, different churches reach different people, and it takes different approaches. And we want to be a part of that bigger picture and be a sending church. Within um, 
our particular community, there are 89,000 unchurched and un uh, RD Church people. So there's a lot of people in a three-mile radius that need to know Jesus. When you begin to look at the averages in our urban neighborhoods, we'll look at uh, the faith in Denver. You have about 7% active evangelical on average. And this is very true for our community that we're planting in. You have 13% that are inactive evangelicals. And then you have 80%, wrap your head around this, 80% that are completely unaffiliated. They're not Buddhist. They're not anything. They're just not connected. So you have 93% of our city on average, about 93% of my community that we're planting in that needs to be reached. And it's an incredible challenge. When you add to that, that our city is becoming younger, it's becoming one of the uh, top places that young adults are moving to. uh, We got to get our heads around the idea of uh, young adult faith. And so What we were realizing is that with the millennial generation, 78% of them um, have no faith and are not looking for one. Think about that. The whole idea of seeker church, that doesn't really apply. 78% have no faith, not looking for one. Uh, And that means another statistic is that 50% of young attenders that are in the church are tending to walk away. And so that's, that's kind of a big deal. And then you, you do a little more research, and it seems that about one in four people uh, in our churches seem to be stalled or dissatisfied with their spiritual walk. So when you look at the health of the church and the need within the community, it's great. And so let's talk about what it means to engage culture. So our culture views church very differently. You know, they see the church as detached and insensitive and anti-everything. Thank you for the media uh, for polarizing us and making us look uh, completely uh, disconnected from everything. Um, if God exists, there's another view, there are many ways to him. Uh, another common uh, thread that we have is that people don't need a church for anything. Do you realize that we're dealing with a generation that will likely never enter a church for anything? They won't get married there. They won't be buried there. They, 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 just, they won't wander in to see the needs uh, or have their needs met. And so that means that, you know, uh, we got to think a little differently about church. And so what our culture really needs, before you get very discouraged, is that the culture needs to meet the church as a people and not as an organization. And that's what is amazing about this time in our lives, in our culture. Because when it's about organization... You know, we could be marginalized very easily, but when we internalize the gospel and we realize that that Jesus is still saving and still working and still moving, that God's power is still alive and well in us, and we begin to look at people around us saying, you know, well, do they know? Do they want to know? Will I engage them? Can I talk with them? And realize that you can be a part of the mission, not just by giving and not by just serving in a church. Those are all wonderful things that you should keep doing. But to realize that you can encounter somebody and change their perspective on God is pretty incredible, don't you think? And God wants to use each and every one of us through our unique abilities, through our own personality, introvert, extrovert, it doesn't matter. God can use anybody and will use anybody. And as people encounter the church as people, As our culture encounters the church as people, we will see lives change. You know what's beautiful about this whole journey for us is that these 89,000 people that we're talking about, these people that are detached, uh, see the church as detached, or they they see us as um, being irrelevant, or there are many ways to God. 
I can put faces to those points of view. They're not statistics to me. They're friends. You know, we, we've uh, made a coffee shop our second home. I mean, we spent a lot of time and a lot of, a lot of money there. And over the few months, we have gotten to know just about every staff person there. And I found out a little bit just about their spiritual journey. And um, one, one of the guys in particular, uh, one day when I walked in, as soon as I walked in the coffee shop, he says, hey, Rick, how's the church going? And it's like, you ever heard a coffee shop get quiet? <laughs> it's really weird. It's like the espresso machine stopped. Everybody stopped. Everybody's looking at you like, whoa, that was weird. And so, you know, you're kind of in this conversation walking up to the counter. And I said, you know, thinking, do I give them the church answer? or Everything's awesome. Or should I be a little transparent? I said, and I said, I'm going to go the transparent route. And I said, you know, there are days that it just feels like it's a million miles away. And he said, yeah, I bet it's like that. And I, and I just asked him, I said, do you go to church? And he said, no. He said, um, I, I'm spiritual. And he said, some people need a gathering for their, their uh, faith to really matter in their life. <laughs> now, what do you say to that, right? And so I'm standing there. There's line for him behind me feeling the need to say something because I'm a pastor and, um, and trying to make the connections. And I turn around and I said, you know, you're exactly right. Our faith ought to deeply impact our life, whether anybody's watching, whether we're ever able to interact with another person that thinks the way that we do. You're exactly right. But I've also learned that through life that I become better as a person and as a follower of God when I'm in community with other believers. And you could see his wheels start spinning. I was like, whew, pressure's off me. Uh, <laughs> and my wife being the wonderful tension breaker that she is, she says, you know what's cool about community is that it can be built anywhere. And he looked at it. He said, kind of like a coffee shop. And so barista <laughs> has now become a friend and someone that I have consistent conversations with about Jesus and faith and why it matters to be in community, and why it matters to believe in someone and not just something. And that's our heart, to fill the city with people that live on mission, that elevate Christ's community and his cause. And for you, it's to fill the city with people that love, grow, serve, and share. And when we do that, when we take the mission personally and we take it outside these walls, God begins to move and work. And he begins to change our perspective and he begins to change the perspective of our culture. You know what's amazing about this is that this is exactly what Jesus had in mind. We don't have to come up with new methodology. We don't even have to think super creatively outside the box. We just have to come back to the very roots when Jesus uh, rose from the dead, the first night he appeared to the disciples in the upper room, and after they finally catch their breath in the freak out moment that Jesus is standing in front of them, he turns around and he says, peace be with you. In John twenty twenty one, he says, Jesus said to them, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. In, in all of the mixed emotions of the cross and Jesus being alive in front of him and all the, the, the doubt and fears that are now being transformed and in a new path being set in front of him and say there's a new chapter that's about to happen within my life and all of that promise and hope and question, Jesus just very simply says, as I've been sent, I'm sending you. And that has not changed. 
When the resurrected Christ takes residence within your body as he was sent, he wants to send you. He wants to use you. And you don't have to be sent far. You don't have to be sent to Africa. You can be sent right to your next door neighbor, sent to your barista at the coffee shop that you go to, sent to the coworker that sits in the cubicle next to you, uh, you know, sent to the, the mom that you, you spend time with uh, in the park with your kids. God is sending you. And so if, it, if Jesus was sent to do something, we need to ask ourselves, what was Jesus sent to do so that we can be about his work? Well, good news. Jesus tells us very clearly three different times in scripture what he came to do. Just very simple. He says, I came to, and then tells us what he came to do. I'm going to give you the first one this morning. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. If you have a Bible, Luke 19.10. If not, it'll be on the screen. But here's what God's word says. It says that the son of man came to seek and save the lost. And so when you, you're thinking about all this going on, Jesus has been healing people. He goes to Zacchaeus' house, and he says, I have to spend time with Zacchaeus today. And, and Zacchaeus was not an admirable man at all. He was a tax collector. You know, imagine, you know, hanging out with your IRS auditor. Um, you know, I mean, how is that going to play out? Do, you know, do you pay for dinner? And you wonder um, if you're, you know, if he's going to ask you if that receipt's going to show up on your deductions or, or is he paying for dinner? Is he using his personal card or the government card? You know, it's just an awkward thing. And uh, here it is, Zacchaeus, who kind of betrayed his own country, crossed over to the dark side to collect taxes. And he was crooked at that. And Jesus said, I have to spend time with a person like this. And as he's doing that, he teaches a lesson. He says, I I came to do this. I must do this because I'm about seeking and saving the lost. The message translation of the Bible is this very cool. It says to find and restore, which really captures the heart of seek and save, right? It's find and restore the lost. But what really adds power is when we begin to understand that word lost. Because for us, you know, when we think about losing something, it's about our keys, And it's like, okay, well, you know, I've lost my keys. It's inconvenient, but they can be replaced. You know, maybe sometimes it escalates. We we lose our wallet. Okay, well, but that can still kind of be corrected. You know, there's some self-effort that can come in there and, you know, it's going to be okay. You know, I got fraud protection. I can get a new card. I can stop this card. Everything's going to be fine. You know, you lose your child in Walmart. Well, that's a different kind of lost. Uh, some of you are like, whoo break for a few minutes, you know. Uh, they got guards at the door. I'm pretty sure they're going to be in here for a while. But, you know, and then, and then, you know, your heart kicks in. It's like, oh, man, that's my kid. You know, I need to find them. But, you know, when you... <laughs> the, the trick is, is what if they're hiding from you? Um, that's a whole different message. Um, but when you think of the word lost, the, the, the Greek word picture here that I really want you to get a hold of, it's the idea of having something valuable ripped to pieces right in front of you. Now, that's a sense of loss, right? To have something that you treasure just ripped apart, shredded, and demolished right in front of your eyes, that's, that's the thought of being lost. So think about it. God's greatest treasure is people, when he says that they're lost, he says there are things ripping them apart piece by piece right in front of my eyes. And what's amazing about God is that he will not sit still on his throne and watch that happen and not get involved. 
He, he has been moving since the foundation of the earth. Even before Adam and Eve were created, he knew what was going to happen. He knew that they were going to make the wrong choice. He knew that it was going to rip them apart on the inside, that they would be lost. And immediately God came down and says, you won't cover yourself with your own effort. I'm going to cover you with the skin of an animal. There's a first sacrifice. You want to know where Cain and Abel learn about sacrifices through Adam and Eve. And God performed that first sacrifice and said, my grace covers you. I will cover your shame. You won't cover your own shame. Because God comes in, and no matter where you're at, what you've done wrong, God looks at you and says, you can't fix this, only I can fix this. You have been ripped to shambles, you cannot reassemble yourself, only I can reassemble you. Because see, the gospel isn't so much about changing us and making us good-looking people. God is a creating God, and he is about remaking people. It's not about changing you and making you an improved you. It's about making you a completely new you. And so if you're here this morning, the gospel is this. God created you and he loved you and he knew everything that you were going to do before you ever were a twinkle in your parents' eyes. And he loved you with an everlasting love. And he left his throne and had his flesh mangled and marred and beaten beyond recognition. And he spoke words of, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. He's saying those things to you and I because he loves us and he wants us to know. And we all know that we fall short of this great love that God has for us. And we don't feel very connected to him at times. And that's because we're rebellious. We're not just, we don't just commit sins, we're sinful. There's a rebellion where we we marginalize God, we erase God from our life, we pursue our own path. But even then, God loves us and he pursues us in that rebellion, overlooking those those sins, believing that, that you will be able to be restored if you'll simply turn to him in faith. Admit where you've gone wrong and that you need a different God in your life, the God of creation. And it's in that moment that all the resources of heaven fill your heart and change you, remake you into the image that he had created for you from the very beginning. You see, what's true, church, is that all of us wrestle with that marred image, believer and unbeliever. We all crave love because God is love. We all cry out for justice when we see wrong because God is just. The difference between believers and unbelievers is that we know why we crave those things and we find Jesus as the answer. Outside of Christ, we'll turn to materialism, we'll turn to self-glorification, we'll turn to self-improvement, self-advancement, anything, self. And it's ripping us apart. But Jesus came to find those people and to restore You know, we were at a park on one of the afternoons when we were having our freak out moment that we're planting a church and things are going slower than we want them to. And it's like, God, what are you going to do? And how's this going to work out? And man, we were stupid. (laughs) You know, we had a parsonage up in Evergreen on a golf course, two acres of, you know, mountain land. It's like, what are we thinking? Coming back down to the metro area, you know, to the hood. Um, And um, and it's like, you know what? We got to get perspective and we go out. And uh, we go to the park and we just say, God, help us, help us to see somebody, meet somebody today that we, can, that we can share the gospel with, that we can begin to talk to about you, find someone that we can find and see restored. And so we go to the park and we run into this young gal. She has a child and we just start talking. And, um, you know, just about being in the community, she asks, are you new to the community? It's like, yeah, we're new. And she's like, well, what do you do? 
well, I'm planting a church. And she's like, really? And I was like, yeah. And she said, I don't really have a good opinion about church. I said, yeah, we get that a lot. Um, and she's like, well, you know, I have some understanding of God, trying to figure it out. Um, my boyfriend doesn't really have any understanding of God. He's trying to figure it out. And we've gone to a few churches. And uh, when we come in, you know, we get to talking with people and they usually ask us where we live and they notice that we're not married. And then we get the lecture about how we're living in sin. And, uh, and I said, well, how does, how does that make you feel? And she says, well, it makes me think that God only cares to condemn. Now listen, sin is sin, and it has to be dealt with. But if you think of the gospel as a storybook, chapter one is what? Loving God, creating people. <laughs> chapter two, yeah, we blew it. Right? Sin. Chapter three, God's not done. He can restore. Through Jesus and only Jesus can we be made whole and right before God. Chapter four, God wants to use us as he's transforming us into his image. Have you ever talked to somebody that jumps in at the middle of the story? Doesn't really make any sense, does it? You need the beginning and the end. And so we begin talking about the beginning of the story. And now the middle of their story is starting to make sense. Opportunity. Find and restore. The goal of sharing the gospel is to restore the lost. Let's not get stuck in the middle of, this, middle of the book. Let's deal with it. But let's not stop there because that's not the gospel. <laughs> it just shows us that we need hope. Let's give them hope. Second thing that Jesus came to do is that he came to befriend those that were far from God. We see this in Matthew chapter 11, verse 19. A powerful uh, passage. Jesus is teaching again and speaking to his disciples. And, um, you know, he's uh, talking about John the Baptist and the ministry that is happening there. And then, you know, scribes and Pharisees are asking questions about, you know, well, your disciples are a little different than our disciples and John's disciples. And, you know, what's going on, Jesus? And, and uh, the statement comes back to this where Jesus says, The Son of Man came eating and drinking. And they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by your deeds. Now think about this for a second. Jesus came eating and drinking and then he came back and he defines, in case we were wondering what kind of people he was hanging out with, he's a glutton and a drunkard. He's a friend of tax collectors and sinners. So when you look at the whole sin scale, you have sinners, you know, your average type people, and then some of them have some pretty big deals. And then you have this whole other collection of people called tax collectors that are just the despicable among the despicable. And Jesus made no distinction between any of them. And he spent his time with them. He spent time with them over meals. He spent time with them in some of their turf settings. You know, listen, Jesus was fully God and fully man, imperfect and so, yes, he represented God well, but he was very much a missionary within their context. He realized that there were some people that were not going to wander their way into the synagogue to hear the scrolls read. 
He realized that some of them would never enter into the court of the Gentiles to see from the outside the picture of the gospel. He understood that he had to go to them, that he had to befriend tax collectors and sinners. But he came to them, remember, because he's finding and restoring the lost. There's that distinction there. That's the checks and balances. But Jesus came to spend time and befriend people who were far from God. You know, for us, that's what we're realizing. If we're going to reach our community, we've got to meet people where they are spiritually and where they live. And so you guys, uh, I understand, went through the art of neighboring a while back. And uh, that book is awesome, super practical. If you have not bought a copy, buy a copy. Read it, reread it, let it soak into your heart because it's going to give you the practical tools to reach out. And we've just made it our mission to get to know every one of our neighbors. We've made it to get to know them socially, to get to know them personally, whether their fears, their struggles, their hopes, their story. We want to get to know them spiritually. We want them to get to know us spiritually, begin to share the gospel. We want them to pray uh, and come to know Jesus and become a Christ follower. And then we want to know them missionally. We want to empower them to do the same, to get to know other people socially, personally, spiritually, and missionally. And we're just using that intentionality in our relationships. Well, what are you doing? Well, you know, we're just trying to get to know people. When we first moved into uh, the, the missionary house that we're in, uh, our na- uh, neighbors came and, you know, welcomed us to the neighborhood. And we're like, hey, grab a box, you know. And uh, we got to talking about, um, yeah, I'm a delegator. Um, <laughs> and uh, they came and they were asking us questions. They say, well, what do you do? And it's like, well, we're planting church. And they're like, oh, we got to go. And it's like, why? Well, I got more boxes yet, you know? And, um, and it became really awkward to connect with them for quite some time. You know, we would kind of see them walking into their house from their cars and we'd wave and they would kind of, kind of wave and then walk into their house really quick, like we were going to jump them or something. I don't know. And, um, it's just taking us a while. Uh, the beauty of being a church planter is that you don't have an office. You're in your home. And so, you know, when the snow shovels hit the ground, it's like, aha, people are outside. I'm going to go shovel my sidewalk because I have to and uh, get to meet people. And just over time, just casual conversations across the street over snow shovels has turned into them coming over to our house for dinner, uh, talking for four hours about everything, about life and faith and, and church and you know, the gospel and Jesus and how this all works together to them inviting themselves back over to our house uh, indirectly saying, we want to come again and we're going to bring the entree. It's like, oh, great. Yes, sure. Awesome. Come on over. And uh, which is really cool to being called their friends, to being invited into their friend circles uh, of influence. And, um, and what's really cool is that, um, you know, my wife, and uh, the lady has built a great friendship and uh, has asked my wife to help her understand how my wife deals with anxiety using God's word. Would you open the Bible and teach me to do what you do? You're not forcing the gospel. <laughs> it's just fallen right in our lap. And it started off by being a friend, by being a good neighbor. And a similar story with other neighbors that are behind us, you know, and around us and across the street from us, you know, people in the community, in the park. And I mean, we could just go on and on and on. Just simply taking the time to be a friend and seeing where that relationship takes you. And Jesus also came to, seek, uh, to serve and not be served, all right? So he came to seek and save, to befriend those that are far from God and to serve and not be served. And this one's powerful. Mark ten forty five. 
for even the Son of Man. All right? The disciples are having a big dispute. Who's the greatest in the kingdom? You know, who's the favorite disciple and all that kind of thing? Who's going to get um, all the privilege? And Jesus comes back and he says, even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You know, there's power in serving. One of the things that we're doing in our community is we're just saying, okay, you know, what are key places, key things that are happening within our community, you know, um, you know, events and celebrations, and how can we come alongside and volunteer and be a part of what they're doing? We're a church plant. We have no money. We're not throwing any kind of a party. Um, so when we join somebody else's. And uh, so we just call around and say, hey, how can we help out? The historic Elish Theater, uh, you know, built back in 1890, was... Uh, threatened to being leveled uh, to be apartment buildings, and some people saved that building. And uh, they do movie nights in their plaza every uh, other weekend through the summer. And we were thinking, well, we could do movie nights one night, you know, to draw crowds in and, you know, build relational bridges. And I'm thinking, well, if they're already doing it, why don't we just come and help them? I'm pretty sure they need volunteers. Man, do they need volunteers. And so we come alongside them every other week. We're making popcorn. We're setting up. We're tearing down, uh, you know, equipment. You know, we're just, we're just a part of their community. And uh, every week, one of us gets in the conversation with somebody about Jesus just by serving. And, and it's just amazing to watch the walls go down. You know, we're doing the same thing with an elementary school. Uh, they were very huge on volunteering. And it's like, hey, what are you doing? How can we be a part? There wasn't an obvious need there. It's a, you know, there's a lot of progress being made at the school. So it doesn't have to be, you know, de- devastation and void. It's like, you know, how can we go to the next level? And so, you know, we just got connected with the PTA. And uh, we got two mission teams coming in uh, in the next couple of weeks that are going to put in an outdoor canopy uh, in the playground area for them uh, in their community garden where they're learning how to grow things. And, and learning about um, plants and their, their cycles and all of those kind of things. And, you know, we're going to leave a lasting impression, a physical <laughs> structure in their playground, you know, as a connection. And it's, it's looking like that's going to be the place where we're going to be holding services when, when we get to that point. And it's just coming alongside people and what they're already doing, the local police, calling them and saying, hey, what are your needs and how can we help? How can we help the community become better? And so they're inviting us to the table saying, well, you have resources that we don't have. And, you know, so how can we do things differently? You know, what's great about our neighborhood is that it's gentrifying. What's bad about our neighborhood is that it's gentrifying. Uh, Because when property value goes up, people get really cranky about properties that are not improving. And so you get all these crazy calls that go into the police department for code enforcement. There are some people that physically can't keep up with their yard. And if they get a code enforcement violation, the law says they get a ticket. What if a call came to us and said, hey, could you help? And we cut their grass instead of giving them a ticket because they're old. They don't need to be out mowing the grass in the summer. You know, or maybe they've had cancer hit their family or maybe there's financial destruction. We don't even know the stories behind the doors of our houses that we live next door to and it's just coming alongside and serving. And all of these things are serving as great bridges. And, and these are the kind of things that we need help with. We need volunteers. You know, we need people to pray for us. We need people that will serve as a volunteer for events that we do in the community and projects and ministry that we do. Uh, you know, at the theater and at the school and within the, our community alleys and neighborhoods. Uh, we need volunteers. We just, 
we need to be able to call on some fresh resources. You know, we're small, we're a small group of people. Everything is sitting on our shoulders. And this is a way that you can be a part. And we're hoping that we can come and be a part of some of the things that you're doing and volunteering so we can learn and serve and give back, freeing you up to be the face of your church and minister to the community and be that social connection to make the most out of those events. And, and what's really cool about this and uh, talking with James over these last few months, he says, Rick, if you, if you see anybody here you run across anybody in this church that, that you think would be a great fit, you should recruit them to be a part of 5280 Church. You know what's good about that? Is that he didn't hand me a list of people saying, here, you know, <laughs> here's the naughty list, take them. <laughs> so that's good. He, he doesn't have a naughty list. So y'all are in good standing. Isn't that awesome? Yeah, give yourselves a hand. Woo-hoo. All right. But what's really cool about that is North Metro's heart is to be a part of the kingdom. And we're praying Is God saying to some of you today, you know, I think God might be calling me to be a part of that church. We want to talk to you. After our service, um, we're going to wrap things up and, and we'll have some of our people out at the, the cafe, at the table. And uh, if you want to pray for us and get on our prayer list or you want to volunteer for a team or you want more information about becoming part of 5280, go to that table. They'll get you, you know, just fill out a simple response card and we'll contact you and get you all the information that you need. But I want to come back to that serve and not be served for a second. Remember we were talking about putting a little wind in your sails? Think about it. Jesus came to serve and not be served. And when we don't understand the reason why he was serving, it doesn't really make any sense. He served to ransom many. Have you ever heard a message and said, man, you mean I got to do more? (laughs) Some of you are probably feeling like that. Some of you are probably sitting in this room and felt the way I have, you know, a year ago. Where it's like, you know, God, you have just backed a truck up and dumped all kinds of hardship in my life. And I'm not sure I want to serve at all. I'm not even sure I can trust you or follow you. The thing about service is that when we lose sight of the why, it's nothing more than a burden. It comes down to what we believe about Jesus. I've had a hard time believing God's goodness in the midst of the trials that have come our way. And I know it sounds really hard for a pastor to say that, but it's true. You hear people say, God is good all the time, and all the time, God is good. And I'm like, yeah, but. And I can tell you that he is. When I step back and I realize the real reason why God is serving, the real reason why I should serve along beside him, the real reason that he serves me is to ransom me from the very things that are ripping me apart. I don't have a distant God that I worship. I have an ally and a friend and a comforter and a companion. So what about you? What do you really believe about Jesus? You know, I think we talk about fear keeping us from sharing the gospel a lot. I've always said fear of what? Because I don't know many of us that are afraid at this point in our life that somebody's going to beat us up for the gospel. Like middle school, that's like a real fear. Um... We might lose our jobs. Okay, that's, that's valid. But I think maybe the greatest fear that we have 
is fear that the gospel doesn't really work. We're struggling with our own doubts, our own sins. And we're like, I thought this was supposed to go away. And it can. But see, what happens is we realize that the gospel saves us by grace and then we immediately have to live up and prove to God that we're worth it and that we're worthy of that love and that we can make this happen for him and and you cannot do that. You could not save yourself. Pre-Christ, you cannot be saving yourself in Christ. God begins the work, continues the work, finishes the work. You rest in that. And what does that mean? Turn to him and you're thinking, if you're like me, what does that mean specifically? Tell me what I gotta do. It's a real short list. Turn, turn to him. Look to him for comfort when you're feeling down instead of that sin that you turn to when you're feeling down. Turn to him when you have questions instead of turning to your spouse and running them crazy. I wish my wife was in here right now. Turn to him and say, God, what should I believe? In your bulletins, there's a sticky note. And I want you to, on that sticky note, write this sentence out and fill in the blanks. Jesus, help me to believe whatever it is. Is it that I can be free? And then when you write, can be free, cross out the word, can be free. (laughs) I am free, right? What truth do you need to believe So put a person there. Maybe it's your next door neighbor. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's a coworker. Just one person. Ask God to lay one person on your heart that needs to know who he is. One person that needs to be restored. One person outside of the gospel, outside of the the community of faith that needs to know the redeeming power of Jesus. And so Jesus, help me believe blank. So, so so-and-so will come to see you in me. And then I want you to take that sticky note and I want you to put it right in the center of your mirror, your bathroom mirror. Would you look at that a few times a day? I would say put it on your windshield, but you probably should really pay attention while you're driving. (laughs) But I promise you in the morning, you're not gonna miss much. You'll wanna see that sticky note more and you wanna see what you look like when you wake up, Okay. And let it be a reminder for you at the beginning of your day and at the end of your day. You know, maybe for some of you, the best thing you could put in that first blank is, Jesus, help me to believe you. Sometimes we get so caught up believing in something that we forget to believe the one that is the author and perfecter of our faith. For me this morning, it's Jesus, help me to believe you are always good. So that my neighbors, the guys I serve with at Elitch Theater, families at Centennial Elementary, my new friends at the coffee shop would come to know you. Help me to stop serving myself that I might serve you.